I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. Unfortunately, not with us this week is David Wright, who joined us on an episode last week. And before we get into anything else, Chris, um, I, I feel like we should just gush for a second about how great it was to talk to David Wright, and not in like a braggy way. I don't want to make it sound like we talked to Wright, you didn't do it. Like I'm not, I'm not pulling that at all. Just like when when we started at Amazing Avenue. Would you have ever thought we could have had a phone call with David Wright? No. Nope. I mean, the I, I thought the coolest thing that anybody would ever get to do specifically uh, had already happened, and not in a bad way. Sam Page <laughs> went to R.A. Dickey's house to, uh, to interview him, and, you know, there was this the, – the background – of like the Dickey face contests that, that the site had had um, Dickey's mother, I think was aware of it. I, I believe it was his mother it may have been his wife, but I want to say his mother was like fully aware of the contest and like followed it and thought it was hilarious and great and all that, you know, so that, that, that is still one of the coolest things. That, that still might be cooler. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, just, but R.A. Dickey is fantastic, and we his name came up with David Wright. Uh, it, was, it was funny. I had listed off those pictures in that question to him and included Dickey. 
but he, you know, in his response, he's like, "Oh, an R.A. Dickey." Yeah, and I, I, you know, I was like, "Well, yeah, I, I included him, but you know, that's okay. We can we can say say his name again. You can say uh-huh. Dickey twice, sure." <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, D- David Wright is on another level. As much as we all love R.A. Dickey, uh, in terms of just the history of the franchise, and and you know. Um, as a Rangers fan in hockey who really got back into hockey uh, and fully committed to being a Rangers fan around 2006, seven, eight as Henrik Lundqvist was just getting his career underway. Sure. uh, And having had that, just his Rangers career at least uh, just come to an end yesterday. uh, You know, David Wright was, I graduated college in 2006, you know, so the, the Lundquist era and the Wright era had a lot in common, uh, starting right then like, Oh, okay. I have a job and you know, it didn't pay well, but it paid better than not having a job during college, college. (laughs) you know, and you could go to Shea stadium for two bucks or five bucks in the upper deck on almost every weekend, you know, they, they'd run a promo to, to go for cheap on, on, on those kind of tickets. Um, hockey was expensive, but not hockey was moderately expensive, whereas now it's insane. Right. But, you know, get out of college and and you connect with those guys. And then they both, I mean, Lundquist may continue his career with another team now, but, you know, Wright played his entire career as a Met and Lundquist We'll see what happens. Maybe his entire career was as a ranger. Um, and uh, you just connect with that in, in a way, you know, the age that you are and, and the longevity of it. So, um, yeah, getting to have a conversation with him was, was pretty cool, pretty great. And yeah. like I, I, my favorite thing about it was just um, I think what what you always strive for when you talk to anyone, uh, you know, I mean, he's as high as you're going to get in talking to somebody involved with the Mets, but, uh, you know, and anybody who is really in the game, whether it's a player or a front office member or, or even just, uh, somebody who covers the team, uh, you know, uh, on, uh, on the beat, just talk baseball and like that that was the coolest thing about it was you know bringing up the things that we had in our heads as like things we'd want to talk to him about and whether it was he felt like he had to think a little to give an answer or um you know just he had he had a story ready uh it was just a baseball conversation and that 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 was the best like when (laughs) You know that some of the, the the point when he said, uh, you know, oh, like just like I'm enjoying talking baseball with you guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> that to me was the coolest moment I think I'll ever have as a Mets fan because that like that's all it comes down to. You know, I would I would love to, in some context that he willingly was there, have a conversation about baseball with Keith Hernandez. Who you know, they, like 
we might disagree on a couple of topics based on <laughs> things that come up on the broadcast, but I'd love to sit down and talk about it. And, and like it's baseball, it doesn't, it wouldn't be confrontational. Right. But you know, it, that kind of thing, like you, you, you'd love to just get those opportunities to talk about the game. And yeah, the, that, that point, just that little thing of him saying it, and and specifically that he had a great Bagwell story ready, yes. Um, you know, those those were those were big highlights. Anything else about it, uh, you know, or anything in particular for you, you know, now that we're a, a week later and <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> Oh yeah, I get to still say that that happened. Yeah. Uh, well, there there were two things. So one of the things that I I'm sure it's bullshit, but I've interviewed enough people in my life that I still get a little bit of a charge when they say, "Oh, that's a good question," and he said that to each of us. I, I know it when he said it to you, and nobody said it to me. And I was like, "All right, we ask good questions." Maybe that's just like his nervous tick when he's thinking of something to say, like he says that. But I'm gonna take him at his face value and say that he thought we had good questions. So that's cool. But um. Yep. But more than that, I, I feel like when you're interviewing somebody who's on a book tour, the easiest thing to do is to look at the book and to use that as the guide for what you're going to talk about. And we blessing, like there was a blessing waiting at the book the night before because we didn't have, we were already talking about topics and we wanted to discuss with him before the book got there. But I feel like we also just made a decision that. Like, this might be the one time we get to talk to David Wright. So, like, as somebody who who is borderline obsessed with walk-up music, I had to ask him about walk-up music. I, I just I feel like that was – I needed to do that because I would kick myself forever if we didn't do that, and my brother would give me shit for it, right? So, like, the fact that we got to sort of make our dream questions for him, we weren't – we didn't – you know, he didn't have to talk about being sponsored by Qualcomm or whatever. Like, he could talk to us about whatever we asked him about, and we chose the things that we felt – we want to talk to David Wright about it. And if we never got to talk to him again, I think we asked him the questions that we really wanted to ask. And that's awesome. You know, this isn't yeah. like interviewing a band about their new album and the publicist says, like, don't ask about the greatest hits. Ask about this album. Like we didn't get we we didn't get any parameters like that. We just, you know, we, we got to ask him what we wanted to talk about. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And uh you know, it's. I'm not knocking anyone who chooses to go with a, a set of questions, and I, you know, I, I didn't hear a ton of what he did elsewhere um, over the last week. But he, you know, he's been making the rounds. Um, but to me, it's like it's just nice to have that opportunity to do that and and to ask questions that you're not going to hear some version of in six or seven of the other interviews. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, uh, the, the one thing that I drew from starting to read the book in the limited time that we had was just that he had this strong connection with minor league baseball, which was cool. Cause that, that really solidified that question. Sure, um, yeah. And, and was cool to hear his answer on. Uh, but that, uh, you know, it, to me, getting that opportunity and knowing that it's, you know, it, it, it's one of a series of things that he's doing. It's a wasted opportunity if you just say, oh, what's your favorite memory of this? Or, 
you know, what was spinal stenosis like? And, you right, know, yeah. one week we lived fairly recently. It's not that long ago that he stopped playing baseball entirely. You know, we lived his career. Um, he's somebody who spoke about it in the moment a lot. You know, he would, he would be good with the press and, mm-hmm. and all that. So, like, we have some sense of those things, and they are definitely in the book. Yes. So I, I love getting stuff that's not in the book. And also you have a, a subject here uh, who is well-versed and not saying anything that's going to get him into hot water. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not going to get David right on and have him like, oh, here's a juicy story that I didn't put in the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, uh, you, you know, like you, you know, you have a, a, a professional, uh, you know, you're not going to get, you know, some crazy story about the night that somebody on the Mets during David Wright's era did something crazy, you know, just that he wouldn't even put in the book and he would say it publicly on, on the podcast. So given all that context um, and, and just after the fact, having people say like you, you're getting feedback that we didn't both sound like we were just, you know, nervous children. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there were some nerves in the like the few minutes leading up to the start. But as soon as we got on the phone, it was just very easy. And uh, and I, I particularly liked that, uh, you know, at the end, he, he seemed genuinely thankful for, you know, your what you had said mm-hmm. just about thanking him for his career and all that. So, you know, uh yeah, that was cool. And now you're listening to an, a, whole, a whole episode. I mean, I feel like Mark <laughs> Maron did an episode. Like, after he did the Obama episode, I'm sure Mark Maron talked about doing the Obama episode for, like, right. the first half of the one that came after it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. if that's the way podcasts go, I think we're doing it correctly. Yeah. Well, let's let's get off that, though. But but really, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you haven't <laughs> listened to it, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there are folks out there that haven't, I do think it's a fun chat with David Wright. So it's free. Go get it. Um, but we, we want to talk about the end of the Mets season. So we last recorded, not counting our conversation with Wright, we had recorded about a week, I guess about 10 days before the season uh, officially ended. And the Mets were at that point still mathematically in, and they would remain mathematically in until the uh, until the Saturday before the season ended. Now, I don't think either of us were necessarily planning on any like we hadn't even discussed as a site what playoff coverage would look like. So that tells you how seriously we thought their chances were at uh, at making the playoffs. But it was fun to see them still fighting. It was fun to think that maybe Degrom could three peat for the the Cy Young award. And I guess while that's still possible, that seems very unlikely at the moment. And so the season didn't just end in a slightly depressing, like, oh, man, this, we were we were so close. Nor did it end in a, well, the team did terrible, but DeGrom finished strong. Nor did it end in a, like, well, they lost, but there were some fun games at the end. Like, no, it was depressing games. DeGrom had a bad last start. They blew it. It was, it was like, the most depressing way to end a season. Do you concur? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, um... <laughs> Uh, the the thing about it to me is that it sort of underscores 
the whole format of all of this, that the Mets were mathematically alive on Saturday morning and finished tied for the last in their division on Sunday. Yes. Um, that's not good. And it is a division where only the two teams made it, you know. Right, right. The two teams that were guaranteed to make it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was fully on board. If somehow they pulled it off, and obviously as the week went on, it was increasingly apparent that they would not. But if they had somehow pulled it off and just won a few more games uh, and, and been in the playoffs as that 500 or just sub 500 team, uh, I would have been all in. Screw it. Whatever. You know, we're lucky we have sports to watch uh, in, in the first place right now. So, yeah. Yeah. But. Um, the flaws that they had, which were predominantly starting pitching, uh, you know, obviously there were others, but you know, they were too great to overcome. And uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, if the ownership change wasn't happening, uh, I think it would have felt very different. Yes, but. You know, there, there, so there was a little bit of okay. This season was what it was. Um, it, it, the Mets certainly weren't the only team that had significant players opt out, but they did. Uh, they and you know they had their own COVID uh, suspension of play for a few days, and and the wild schedule that follows to make up those games and, and, and all that, you know, they, they had the 2020 COVID season experience. Um, yes. And then some, yeah. Yeah. But despite all that, it, it, it's not hard to see a better future. And For I think that just took some of the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Matt, imagine all of that. And like, you know, the Wilpons after it fell apart with Cohen the first time decided to just keep the team. And we just had, you know, never ending Wilpon ownership paired with uh, a pandemic season and all of the all of the non-baseball things that that meant for everybody, especially in the area where most Met fans live. Right. Uh getting baseball, getting that kind of season, and then having no hope for the future on a team that has, I'd say, one sure thing starting pitcher for next year (laughs) in Jacob deGrom. David Peterson was encouraging, and, you know, no, Syndergaard should be good when he comes back, but it's not 100% guaranteed. Um, Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I, and, yeah, and we we will have entire shows dedicated to things like the Mets starting pitching, their bullpen. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna recap the season as best we can. Um, you know, as as the off season progresses, but we're not gonna get too deep into that tonight. But I, I'm with you, man. I I think the only thing that got me through the sort of bummer of the last weekend, as intact as I was, was just this idea that hypothetically, this never has to happen again. Because so many of the problems with this team and every Mets team under the Mets owner, under the Wilpon ownership is just this idea of 
not investing wisely in what the actual problems are. And so you think with with a new regime coming in that seemingly will be less financially handcuffed than the Wilpons were, you hopefully never have to enter a season as short on starting pitching as the Mets entered this season, right? So that was getting me through just thinking like, well, it has to be better than this next season. Even if it's not better than this on the field, the process will be better than this. Um, Yeah. And a big part of that process being better than this is the announcement that came uh, since we last recorded, which is that Sandy Alderson has been tentatively hired by Steve Cohen to be the president of the Mets. That is his title, right? Team president? Yeah. Uh, Both for for baseball and for business. Uh, If the ownership deal goes through, he will be Cohen's president. Uh, This is surprising for a couple of reasons. Also, for in my eyes, really a, a very smart decision. But I know there are people out there who are probably uh, not too happy with this. So let's just break it down for a second. Um, under the Sandy Alderson regime, the Mets acquired or drafted some of the best players they've had on their team in recent memory they've gone to their first world series since 2000 they made the playoffs two times in a row for the first time since 2000 uh they developed a bunch of players who were not like super high regarded prospects into dominant important players even things that looked like a bust like dominic smith's draft have been revealed to be actually quite good under the alderson era so how do you feel about the Alderson era 2.0 starting in Queens? I, I, I think it's pretty great. And yeah, on, on that point, Nimmo, Conforto, Smith, Alonzo, McNeil. Um, Jimenez, the, oh, Rosario. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Those I think are just it, position it's, players. It's, <laughs> right. Yeah, no. And it's pretty. And obviously there were different levels of uh, hype on on those guys and, and expectations placed upon them based on how much they signed for in international cases or what round they were drafted in in the amateur draft cases but uh, the first round draft picks because mlb has elevated that event um get you know get a little more attention and to have him coming back at a time when uh, several of his first and second round picks are significant major league players on on that team that he was running. Uh, that's pretty cool, and I I think ultimately it matters that somebody. The reason why he wound up with the Mets in the first place was sort of a pairing engineered by Bud Selig at the time, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, man. Manfred's been commissioner for not that long, and it already feels like too long. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, you you had some input from the league at the time that the Wilpons were at the worst financial spot in their tenure uh, of owning the Mets, and you needed somebody who could steer that ship. Uh, A steady and, hand. Yeah, and and you know it's kind of crazy and of course the way it ended was awkward and weird and 
potentially terrible. Um, you know, if if the accounting of it is, you know, accurate and portraying it that Alderson didn't even have the full say in when he left as he was battling cancer. Um, but w- regardless of that, it, the, the, when you looked at it, when he got announced as a hire um, contingent upon the sale of the team being finalized, uh, I had this moment of like, oh, wow, he was with the Mets for a long time. Yeah. You know? Um, so to me, I was always inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I Nobody could know of the existence of the Mets and not also know that there was some chaos and uncertainty coming from above him. And he had to work in that environment. Uh, and, and when you are in that role, you are just the face of ownership, the front office. You know, you're, you're the one who's going out there and, and having to do that. So um, I think some of the things that he stuck with were based on that context. So I, I like that there's a clear talent uh, involved in terms of the baseball side of things. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying, oh, he's the greatest executive of all time, but he has done things that have worked that we've seen. Um, and I think a lot of things that happened in his first tenure with the Mets were the result of things that, as was reported by Mark Carrig, uh, not that long ago, um, you know, just that ever shifting budget or it, a, a transaction by transaction update on what the budget was after each one, you know? So I get just imagine for a second. I'm sorry to interrupt Chris. Just imagine for a second. Going to no, the no, supermarket. Go ahead. Imagine going to the supermarket and not knowing how much money you have to buy your groceries. So you have to bring up your sliced Turkey, pay for that and then find out if you have enough to get the bread. That's a that's an extremely banal micro level of what Alderson had to deal with as a baseball executive, which is insane, right. insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, overall, I, I I like it a lot. Um, always have re- respected him, and I thought, given given the hand he was dealt, I mean, it, it's a it was a well paying job so you know <laughs> uh, can't feel that too phrase, sorry for him yeah <laughs> right yeah that phrase is a, a little dramatic but uh, the point being uh i think he handled it well and i think having him in a spot that uh, the way it's described you know who knows maybe he'll be very 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 involved uh and i'm sure with with that role he would at least have a final say in a transaction uh, or at least the ability to overrule one or, or, you know, something along those lines. But I think having somebody who is competent and at that level um, working with an expanded budget, not just for the roster, but for front office staff 
um, uh, you know, technology even uh, that that some teams use in either developing players or you know analyzing ones that they they currently have, all that sorts of stuff. It is really nice to have uh, a sense that somebody competent will be at the top and. There's also, you know, I don't want to see like massive upheaval here. Um, obviously, there are things you could change and improve on and bring people in. But knowing that Alderson would be in that prominent position makes me think that it's not going to be, oh, okay, you just got to like all these really good players. Uh, half of them are gone now, you know, or. It, that kind of thing, you know, some, somebody right. brand new comes in and you just don't know, you know, Hey, maybe that brand new person doesn't think Dom Smith is actually this good because he still hasn't played that much in his major league career. Right. Whereas Alderson was the face of drafting the guy. Uh, and, and obviously has a, a track record of knowing him and all that. That doesn't mean that, the, you know, every single player is going to be on the Mets forever. And everybody who we're in love with right now, who especially in the case of Smith, seems like a courageous and, and upstanding person who's also really good at baseball. Um, that uh, Alderson could trade Dom Smith or Alderson's organization that right. he's running could trade Dom Smith. But it's not going to be because, you know, somebody came in with a fresh set of eyes and, you know, made made decisions on things that uh, they wouldn't necessarily make if they didn't know the organization that way. So, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued to see it. And it's just fitting that Sandy Alderson will have outlived the Wilpons in terms of his Mets career. Yes, and that is a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To me, what, what Alderson represents is what I want out of the running of a franchise, which is I want I want the process to be as sound as possible because the results are always going to depend on a million things that you can't control. And you just get the idea with Sandy Alderson that the dude was prepared for every situation. Now, he was... He had half a box of crayons 
to to color with. But you got the idea that he just but he was very process minded, and that's what I want out of this organization. I want I want there to be a plan, and I want him to be able to execute that plan. You know, I'm sure that right now he is already discussing with Cohen. You know, or or Cohen has said to him, you know, all right, you know, put together a plan for our off season. You know, broad strokes. What are the things we need to do? And I feel like Alderson is is um, I don't want to say he's not emotional about baseball, but you know, I, I think that he's sufficiently guarded in his emotional response to things, and so he's not going to be looking at this from anything other than a rational, well, well-researched point of view. And even if his, even if that just means hiring the best GM or the best front office staff, I just know that he's going to be a guy who's going to consider it all and is going to move in a logical direction forward. I cannot, I mean, and obviously he did that as well as he could when he was the GM of the Mets. But with the Wilpons, you always knew that it was never going to really be logical. That even under the best of circumstances, there was illogic and dishonesty and sometimes outright lies that were going to be perpetrated. I think an Alderson regime... I'm making him sound like he's the perfect man here. I don't mean that. I just think we're not going to... He's going to make mistakes and make a lot of mistakes. I thought he made a lot of mistakes as GM the first time around. But his mistakes are going to be rooted in thoughtful decision-making, not in, like, grudges or uh, foolhardy ways. I'm just happy to have what appears to be an adult at the at the helm right now. Yeah. Um, it's now, amazing that that feels like a major upgrade. <laughs> exactly. But it does. But it does, right? I mean, like, you know, we can't... We cannot overstate... All the stories that we've heard, both on and off the record, about Jeff Wilpon. Right. <laughs> you know, we just we can't overstate it. The, the, the guy does not seem like a particularly good uh, baseball executive. And if, if, if rumors are to be believed, then Jeff Wilpon's opinion was, was the final one oftentimes. And I don't want that guy being the last person on the phone before the deal's made. I don't. Um, so here, here's my question to you, though, about Alderson coming in. Do you presume that both Brody and Louis Rojas are gone? Um, not necessarily. I guess Rojas has the, you know, he has he has some advantage here that he was working for the team. You know, the, his years overlapped a lot with Alderson. So yes. I assume there's a good rapport there. Um, but in the case of either one of them, it, you know, and sort of along the lines of what you're saying about the way that Alderson would make decisions and, and approach these things, um, I don't necessarily think either one of them will be fired by the organization. Um and I think Rojas probably has a pretty decent shot of getting a full season of managing, um, you know, or uh, the chance at that. Um, but I could see both of them being given options to stay in the fold, whether it's in their current title or not. 
Um, I know a lot of people think Van Wagenen is certain to be gone, but uh, you know, Cohen going with somebody who has that sort of institutional knowledge of the organization uh, and was in a position of significance when they kept Terry Collins around as a you know advisor to the GM. Uh, Omar Minaya was brought back into the fold. You know, Alderson was his successor in the general manager role, but he was also involved when Manaya was sort of brought back in. Um, Although it, rumor has it that was the Wilpons bringing him back in. Oh, po- right. Possibly no. to fuck with Alderson. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, no, that's that. And that's a good point. I, I don't want to make it sound like Alderson went out and, you know, made it a point to bring him in himself personally, but, they, you know, they wound up working in the same front office. So you, you, you just have that familiarity there. And I think it'll be very quick. We'll learn very quickly <laughs> if there was somebody that Alderson didn't like that Jeff Wilpon did. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I, I don't necessarily think, I mean, the biggest thing against Brody, and it's funny, you know, as this has sort of evolved or, or just sort of sunken in. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious that it was going to be Cohen from, you know, June, July-ish. But Van Wagenen's biggest flaw is that, you know, he's buddies with Jeff Wilpon, basically. So that could be the reason that I could see that he he would just be, nope, you're gone, you know. But I could see Alderson saying, you know, okay, I think he's good at these things. You know, I mean, he's pretty good at talking. Oh, he's a yeah. I mean, unless you're giving him a hot mic, he's pretty good at talking. Um, right, and even when he, when even the hot mic was like, oh yeah, damn right. Oh, I agree. Everything he said on the hot <laughs> like, mic was was great. <laughs> and look, as a guy who has been privileged to have two two different off the record conversations with Brody Van Wagenen, he's a charming dude. Like I, I think if if you're looking to have somebody who's going to make the press, it was going to put the press at ease a little bit and uh, and make everybody happy. Van Wagen is that guy. Like he he's a wouldn't you agree? He's a charming dude. Oh yeah, and I mean it. You know, given the background as an agent, um, and and a successful one at that. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it, it shouldn't be surprising but yeah no he 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 has that quality so um you know then i'm sure there's some ego involved Uh, of course there is uh for everybody in the baseball business but whether or not it's as general manager or something else um right i'm just saying i could see alderson saying this guy has you know Qualities that could be advantageous to us. Um, you know, teams don't typically have like a spokesperson. Right. But the the skills that he has seem like they would be suited to that sort of a role. You know, like that well, the head of PR is not usually going out and talking about the team in right, baseball. Right. So but, he, here's my question about him, though. I, I, I think if this were – I'm trying to think of another GM – if this who who's not a superstar, so when Omar Minaya was fired, if he was fired because of new ownership or or whatever the case may be, 
Omar Minaya is his the only other job that he's gonna get somewhere is a lesser version of the job he held when he was fired. Van Wagenen was the head of the biggest sports agency in the world. There's probably yeah. lots of jobs that are more lucrative than being Mets GM that if he was fired tomorrow, he could go out and get. Uh, so I don't know if he would. Like, that's that's the only reason I think he may not stick around is not because he wouldn't be offered something, but because unless he's GM, it may not be worth it for him to subject himself to this lifestyle. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, 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 think, I, I, I think you're right in the sense that I think if anybody were to, to be pragmatic about this and to value what he brings, it is Alderson. Right. So, yeah, it, it's it's just interesting to, <laughs> to get this opportunity to see. And I mean, how often does this scenario play out in sports? I, I, I can't even think of another example. I mean, it's so rare that teams change hands at all. Um, right. But even somebody getting a second stint is pretty rare. It's happened, obviously. Right. Um, but it's not a commonplace thing. So, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch. And I think the combination of resources that Steve, Steve Cohen has, um, and hopefully he's intent on using them um but between that that owner who is not in the throes of you know recovering from a ponzi scheme and paying for it because it they should have been aware of it <laughs> legally oh oh hold on just a quick aside the New York Times piece that was like the Wilpons and the attorney who sued them and that in the in the whole Madoff thing like hang out at the uh they go to Carnegie Hall and fancy restaurants and sip wine together like fuck that <laughs> yes I, I it was one of my least favorite things i've read in a long time <laughs> uh like uh, no we did not need the rosy hoity toity you know but wanna be high society uh puff piece uh, on their way out the door yeah, um agreed I, I, so. I, I do want to mention uh, Rojas for another second here. Which oh, yeah, is, sure. Um, I think that if Beltron was was the manager, there's no way he would have been fired no matter how the season ended because mm -hmm. of the because of his name and because of what he brings to the to the franchise in terms of uh, just name recognition and, and all of that. So I, I, I think that Rojas, in a way, is in a worse position because because he because he's not a name he's also in a worse position because he wasn't the first choice last time you know he he's very much the runner-up to the job who got the job you know be, because miss america could not could not uh you know fulfill her obligations he got the job but i think what's going to help him is is both what you said that that he's seemingly a very very well respected member of the um of the of the organization that he's somebody who Alderson worked with at some point, you know, uh, I think all of that has, ha, you know, helps him. I think the fact that he dealt with a season that, 
you know, literally no manager had ever dealt with before this season and did so without totally melting down, did so while losing Syndergaard and Cespedes and Stroman and still managed to be in it the last, you know, the penultimate day of the season, even if that's a bullshit metric, which we've established that it is. You know, I, I think that he he didn't fuck up enough to lose the job outright, even if I think he's not as safe as as a bigger name person would have been. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this means anything at all, but in St. Lucie, you got the impression that he was really well-liked by everybody he worked with, whether it was players or uh, the Beats really liked him, and it seemed like the PR staff really liked Rojas. Again, all of that, aside from the Beat, you know, might change in the next few months. But it does seem like Rojas was a well-respected, well-liked guy, which might also help him a little bit here as well. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're not going to spend t- uh, too much more time on on uh, Alderson right now because that is not yet official, because the sale is not yet official. And I feel like our show for the next you know month or so is going to be very much just waiting and seeing, and then we're going to get the fire hose turned on us in terms of news. <laughs> Uh, or everything is going to break all at once. And I'm very interested to see what that is. I mean, I here's my question. Does Cohen have to be public about, like, can he already be interviewing GMs? I don't know. That's a good question, wh- whether there are any rules that Major League Baseball has that would prevent him from doing that. I, I don't know. I mean, theoretically, you know, things leak all the time, but right now is like the easiest time. You know, everything's being done over Zoom, so you don't see so-and-so pulling up to City Field for an interview, right? So theoretically, he could they could announce him as owner on Monday, and he could say, here's my new GM, here's my new manager, here's all of this, like, right away. Um, yeah. Which would be very interesting. But anyway, the one thing we did want to talk about, and uh, I, I have admittedly not been paying a ton of attention to the playoffs yet, um, just because it's been a busy week for me, but Chris alerted me to something that uh, may that makes me very upset, and uh, I know makes him very upset as well. So why don't why don't we talk about the World Series and the League Championship Series here, Chris? Tell tell our listeners what you told me when the call started. Oh yeah, well, the, um, Major League Baseball has used this system of teams playing games in the home teams ballpark. And obviously it has not been perfect. And um, they had to work through several COVID outbreaks within organizations. Um, And and luckily, as far as we know, uh, you know, for nobody, nobody died directly as a result of it. Um, And there were some health complications for some players, uh, you know, some more significant than others. So, you know, what it wasn't flawlessly pulled off and it was, you know, <laughs> nobody thought that would that that could even be done. Um but they go through this whole format of it all and they iron out things and you I really thought even as recently as 2 weeks before the season ended that some significant series would have a COVID outbreak, and then the whole playoff plan would get screwed over yep. mm-hmm. because we got to wait until that team can safely play a game again. 
I really thought that was going to happen. So uh, all of that is to say near the end of it, Major League Baseball announced they would officially have a bubble for, you know, those championship series and, and the World Series. Um, and there's all sorts of things about it that just are annoying from a baseball aesthetic perspective. But they kept calling it a bubble. And then today or, or last night, uh, you know, sometime within the last 24 hours, they made it official that uh, they were going to have 11,000, 11.5,000 fans at those games in the bubble, which makes it not a bubble. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just don't get I mean, I, I, I understand the motivation that they're working with here, but it's just reckless and it pisses me off that they can say oh we're gonna just have this and we're gonna require people to wear masks if they're not eating or drinking in an environment where everybody's gonna just eat and drink because they don't want to have their mask on and they traveled there from somewhere else in the country to uh congregate and uh and then go back home when it's over and i it's just you're not going to recreate a, a ballpark, even with 11,000 passionate people in it, just doesn't sound, it's not going to sound like, oh, wow, baseball really is back, you know? Um, and it, a, a year that has had lots of things said by entities like Major League Baseball about things that it, cares about and things that it supports and things that it believes followed by behavior that doesn't match up with it is unsurprising and still depressing. Yeah. It, it seems stupid for so many reasons. I mean, to, to be the slightest bit fair, the CDC's guidelines say that the only way like it, through contact tracing, you're only considered exposed if you are, within six feet of somebody else indoors without a mask for 15 minutes or more. So there, there's no way to make that happen at a ballpark because it, unless it's an indoor ballpark, you are going to be outdoors, you know, uh, the whole time. And therefore you are not technically exposed in the way that the CDC, you know, looks to for contact tracing. That said though, it still feels really irresponsible uh, like you said, eleven thousand fans is basically like a like a September Marlins game, which we've watched enough of those. Those games suck. <laughs> it's, it's not going to make the ballpark hop and feel great. Um, and not only that, I think that look, is it the same? No, it's not at all. But I don't think that the crowd noise has been all that bad. I don't think that the games feel if if I am if I'm doing other things. So I'm checking my email. If I'm playing a game on my phone and I look up at the ball game, I don't instantly think, oh, no one's in that stadium. Obviously, if you pay attention for more than a minute, you're going to notice that. But to me, it hasn't destroyed the value of watching baseball on TV. And so I right. just don't I don't understand why you would go to such lengths to possibly really, really to, to, to harm not just like faceless people who, you know, these are large. These are billionaires who do not care about the people who go to their games. We know that already. But theoretically, you could seriously 
damage, hurt, make sick your your team, your investment through this. It just I don't right. on no level does this make sense to me. Yeah, and and I'm also not entirely sure. I was just looking um, as you were speaking because I just wanted to see, and I can't find uh, anything that says uh, you know firmly one way or the other whether or not the roof would be required to be open in Texas, um, which I would freaking hope. <laughs> but uh, who knows? Maybe the roof will be closed and it, and, it, and it'll be an indoor ballpark for these, you know, these games that have that attendance. Um, and also, I, I don't know if any pricing information has come out, but if it's like the tickets are $1,000 because you know, because it's so limited, if it, if it becomes a thing that it's like, oh, you know, people who are in better circumstances to deal with all of this this year now get to go do this thing that uh, has significant reckless consequences or potential consequences associated with it because of that financial advantage, um, that, that would just be salt in the wound to every fan who's bought in and, and, and followed this season and yeah, I don't average know. fans, average Joe's who are not making gigantic salaries, ponied up $86 to have their picture maybe shown on TV in a baseball stadium. Yeah. Like those, <laughs> that's your bread and butter. Not the folks who are going to drop a thousand dollars on a playoff ticket where they're probably going to have to travel out of state to get to the game anyway. Right. Right. I, I, by no means do we think any of this is designed to be fan-friendly, but I'm sure somebody <laughs> somebody somewhere thinks that, oh, man, it's going to feel like baseball. And if you had, thankfully, that part of the playoffs is not on ESPN – where just anything Major League Baseball does, uh, oh, wow, look at this. Oh, it's amazing. You know, during the first day of the playoffs, uh, or, or no, I think the second day, because the league started on a different day. So you had these staggered starts with all these games going on, and it was you know, a long stretch of, of baseball. Um, and, and, you know, there was this amazement on one of the ESPN broadcasts and also on social media of like, oh wow, so many baseball games. And I'm just sitting here like, have you have you heard of the regular season? Like right. if you want a bunch <laughs> of baseball games, you know, we have that every day. Why is that special now? You know, like it just going along with like everything the league wants to do, and we know they're gonna try to make some of this stuff permanent that they did in the name of COVID, but you know, they're going to try to keep it around for reasons that they think are good. Uh, I just hate it. So thankfully, those series aren't on, on networks that are that friendly to the league, but nobody's harsh either. So I'm sure it's going to be, uh, you know, some overly rosy romantic uh, thing about fans being in the ballpark in America or whatever. There was a great call. What game was it? 
it was a game I was recapping this season. I, I didn't recap that many, so I, if I looked it up, I could find it. But I'm not going to bother. But it doesn't. It, 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 I believe it was Alonzo's um, extra inning home run, like from a month ago or so. You know the game I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Any, anyway, uh, Howie Rose came back after the game was over. And he he was about to do like you know his his post commercial sign off, and he said it, it it was the day it was it was the day or day or two after Tom Seaver died because I thought what he was gonna say was Seaver related. He said there's only one thing that could have made this victory sweeter, and it was if you were here. And by you I mean the fans. And it was this really heartfelt thing of just like the ballpark didn't feel the same without all the fans in it. And Howie is one of the best. And so, you know, he's definitely he he, just, he he painted this really romantic, old-fashioned baseball is baseball exists because of the fans, uh, like statement. But everything else this season has pointed to the fact that the fans are far less an important part of Major League Baseball than we had been told for many years. And I don't I don't say that as a knock on Major League Baseball totally. I do in some ways, but you know, it's it's just the the illusion that we need fans for baseball is 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 shattered forever. You know, they've pulled off this whole season without fans, and yes, the team's lost money they would have been getting on beer and popcorn sales or whatever, but it just shows to me that I mean, look, anyone who really believed the Major League front office for the last couple of years is probably you know, naive in a number of ways, but it's just so clear that baseball does not give a shit about you and me. They don't give a shit about the fact that it costs me hundreds of dollars to bring my kids to a baseball game once a year. You know, they they don't, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. If they gave a shit, MLB.TV would be available so I wouldn't have to keep my cable package to watch the Mets. If they gave a shit, there would be more weekend day games so people can bring families to the ballpark. If they gave there's so many things that the, the owners have systematically been eliminating over the last you know hundred years, but especially the last twenty five or thirty years that just fly in the face of we love our fans. I don't know why you do something like this, which is just it's it's just so craven. It's so false. It's yeah. And so dangerous. Above everything else, so dangerous. If one person gets COVID from this, Rob Manfred should lose his job. Because there's no reason. You could you could make every bullshit argument in the world for, for reasons of why the players should have played this season, and I disagree, but I can understand him. There is no fucking reason anyone should be indoors watching a baseball game this year. Zero. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, cheer me up, Chris. Give me a good music recommendation for the week. Sure, yeah. So it's a it's a semi blind recommendation, and and uh, well, if not for the pandemic right now, I would not be recording the podcast because I would be in California setting up my tent, uh, going back to desert days for the third time. Uh, you know, become somewhat of a tradition. It would have been our second time in California, uh, following our friend's wedding, which was scheduled for April and did not happen at that time uh and to be fair you know uh these are inconveniences to 
a pretty fortunate life. But it still sucks. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, in, in that context, um, it, it's the 20 millionth most important thing that's happened on the planet this year, if not lower. But yeah, I I miss it. I I, um, I I made a beer run this afternoon and it dawned on me that, oh, wait, I would be doing this right now in California on our way to go set up our tent and, and go back to this music festival that we've sort of fallen in love with over the last couple of years. And one of the bands that we had never heard of until last year, um, and I, I think I, I, when we look back, I had recommended the record that they had put out um, most recently, just after coming back from it last year. Um, but Frankie and the Witch Fingers, uh, they played there, and we had made some friends while we were there, and um you know they they were a band we didn't know and there's not a ton of overlap in the way that they set up that festival but there's some uh and you know as a group we kind of went to check out this other thing and it was the like an afternoon beautiful sunny afternoon and it was whoever it was it was there it just wasn't the right fit and i wasn't feeling it at at all and then from the stage where Frankie and the Witchfingers were playing, I was like, "Oh shit, that okay, I hear that. I'm 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 going that way, you know. When you guys are all ready, come meet me. But I I need to go to that. <laughs> uh, and and it clicked, and I got really into the band. Uh, and tomorrow, uh, or or today, as as you're listening to this, October second, uh, they have a new record out called uh, Monsters Eating People Eating Monsters. <laughs> Love it. And yeah. So yeah, I'm going to blind recommend it. They put one song out ahead of, you know, the actual album release. Uh, and, and I like it. Um, and, you know, coming off the recent recommendation of uh, the OC's record, which I've only grown to like more since recommending it uh, on, on the show. Uh, these guys fit right in. Uh, OC's actually had done a thing uh, where they filmed a set in like a desert parking lot of a restaurant or, or something um parking lot of some business um recording a fresh set of live music to release digitally for people to stream and download and all that and they played some stuff as like a sort of a lead-in almost like having an opener virtually and there was a frankie and the witch fingers video uh, claymation video that played just before OCs played their set for this thing. So uh, they were supposed to tour together this year, and they they fit in well together. Um, you know, they also fit in with King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And anybody who's heard me talk about music on this or anywhere knows <laughs> knows how I feel about them. So yeah, they. Uh, they're a really fun, exciting band. Uh, you know, I'm going to blindly recommend this record and I don't anticipate that I'll have to come back and say, you know, hey, you know what? That one wasn't so good. I think it's going to be really good. And, and I'm, you know, excited to get to listen to it when I wake up. Very cool. Uh, so my pick was, uh, we've talked on this show before about how scary, how scarily accurate Spotify can be for guessing your tastes. Oh um, yeah. And 
it did something this week, which it had done once or twice before, which is it put something on my Discover Weekly playlist that I own but haven't listened to in a very long time. And like and not like own where it's on the same computer I'm using Spotify, so it's not even like it could be like um, um, a, a some sort of creepy spying on me situation. Like it just knows what I like at this point. And I had not listened to this album. I'm gonna conservatively say ten years, but I would say probably closer to eleven or twelve years. Uh, it's an album that came out in 2006 by a band called Fujia and Miyagi. Uh, have you ever heard of this band? I no, they were nope, a thing. I don't think so. They were a thing for like five minutes. Um, Pitchfork gave this album like an eight point three or something, and so <laughs> you, you you know those bands like that just like one review right. gets people to notice them. So I had bought the album, and I had enjoyed it, and then I had forgotten about it, and I haven't listened to it in forever. The album is called Transparent Things, and. There's like a very strong like Krautrock influence, specifically to the drumming, like that Motorik drumming, like Noi or um, it's just, there's a noise song called Hallow Gallo that is like the classic Krautrock drumming, and I feel like this album is full of that, but also just like some really clever um, synth playing in a way that doesn't seem like obtrusive. It this just feels like a very natural album to me i don't know if that's going to make any sense unless you hear it but to me it sounds like everything just unfolds very naturally but there's like a lot of there's not a ton of lyrics almost every song has some lyrics but a lot of it's just like very simple repeated stuff like the first song is called ankle injuries and uh like the majority of the words said in the song are just the name of the band just them chanting fujia and miyagi over and over again um so it's kind of like indie rock, kind of like kraut rock. There's definitely some synthy stuff in there. There's definitely some really good bass playing in there, which is always a thing for me. Um, but I hadn't heard it in forever, and then I went back and listened to it, and I was like, oh, man, I, I have, why haven't I been listening to this album every day in the subsequent 11 or 12 years? Um, the band is named for uh, a record player brand, Fujia, and Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. So yeah, that's a thing. Uh, um, I thought they were an Asian band until this week. They're from Britain, uh, but again, like in 2006 when I bought the album, I probably, I mean, I was definitely on the internet a lot in 2006, but I probably wasn't. I started doing other things rather than looking up the ethnicity of this band. I just presumed because of the Japanese names they were Asian. They're not. Don't love that name, right. but that's okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Transparent Things by Fujia and Miyagi is my pick for this week. So um, that's that's that. Uh, we're gonna keep doing shows all off season. Obviously, I don't know if we're gonna do every week or so, but when when there's big Mets news, we will certainly uh, be back with a couple of shows. Until then, go to amazingavenue.com. This week, we've been doing a look back series on the various component pieces of the team this year, starting pitching, bullpen, etc. Today, if you're listening to this on Friday, we're publishing our catcher's piece. Um, so check that out. Amazing Avenue is also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. Wherever you do get them, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. Those things help more people find out about our show. Chris is on uh, Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, oh, actually, before we go, real quick, who are you rooting for in the playoffs?
Oh, uh, who's left? <laughs> Hold on. I, I know the results of a lot of these things, but uh, MLB has a bracket given the uh, circumstances. So, yeah. Um, not the Astros. Same. Especially because they're, you know, bragging about how they should be respected now. Yep. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> it, no strong feelings for any particular team. Um, obviously, that you know, you I, I want the Mets rivals to fare poorly. Um, the the Padres. The, the Padres because of Tatis and Machado. Yep. Uh, the Padres, the A's, the Rays. They're all kind of fun stories. I I can't root you, for the Astros, right. the you Yankees. Just, you have just picked the three teams I want, I, I'm want. i rooting for. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. A's, Rays, I mean, and the Padres. Bre- like the Brewers would be fine. Sure. Like, you know. Sure. Uh, no, no problem with that. And yeah, the Dodgers, I, I don't have a hatred for them. I, you know, I have a hatred for a former Philly and Dodger, but I don't. <laughs> yes. I don't have a like passionate hatred for the Dodgers. I'm just, it, it's more envy than anything. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so if they, you know, won this world series after being very good for this long, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. It wouldn't bother me at all. Right. Uh, and yeah, I mean the Cubs losing to the Marlins would be fun, but I also don't want the Marlins to, you know, if the Marlins were to advance, um, Either the Marlins or the Braves would be in the NLCS. So, you know, I, I could deal without that. But Yeah, I also don't want the Marlins to be held up as a paragon of how a baseball team should be run. No. So nope. <laughs> let's, let's get them out of there quickly. So anyway, until next time, let's go Brewers, Rays, Pirates. Uh, not Pirates, Padres. Brewers, Rays, Padres, and A's. But ultimately, let's go Mets.